So we have a few scripture readings this morning. First, Deuteronomy 8, verses 1 through 6, and then John 6, 48 through 58, and then our sermon text, Matthew 6, verse 11. If you please stand, we'll read these verses in that order. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, And your foot did not swell these 40 years? Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. And now turning to the gospel according to John chapter 6. We'll be reading verses 48 through 58. John chapter 6, verses 48 through 58. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And now turning back to Matthew chapter 6, we'll start at verse 9, Matthew 6, starting at verse 9. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. Please be seated. (coughs) 
Let us pray. Father, we do pray that you'd give us today our daily bread, that you'd grant to us that portion that we need. It may not be what we expected. It may not be what we think is our greatest need, but we pray for it, and we ask, O oh God, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive it. So grant us, O oh Father, that humility of heart that is willing not to hear your word. Grant us, O oh Father, clarity of thought. Remove from us those distractions of mind and desire. And we pray too, Father, that your spirit would be at work in us, uh, that we would be eager uh, to receive your word and to do it and to fulfill it. We ask these things, O oh Father, that we might be better instruments of your peace and of your righteousness and your grace to those around us, not just that we would improve and grace ourselves, but ultimately we pray these things, O oh Father, uh, that glory and honor would come to Christ. In his name we pray, amen. I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, but so many important things, I think you could even argue perhaps the most important things in Scripture involve food. And in some way or another, uh, food gets involved uh, in either the event itself or how we are to uh, commemorate that particular event. No sooner does God create Adam and Eve and he assures them that everything is available to them for food, except for one tree that all of it is, is for them. And then we think of the, the original sin of our first parents when they fell uh, from that blessed state that God had given to them because they ate food that they were forbidden to eat. They ate the forbidden fruit. And then when we come to uh, what is, without argument, the greatest redemptive event in all the Old Testament, namely Israel's being rescued out of Egypt, uh, God tells the people, commands the people to, there to commemorate this uh, through a meal, the Passover feast. And central to that meal is the Passover lamb, which they are uh, to partake of. And it's interesting that when we come to the central redemptive event of the New Testament, it's that very meal that Christ takes hold of and says in the Lord's Supper, here in this bread and cup uh, is the sign and seal of, of my substitutionary sacrifice as the Passover lamb. And also we think of heaven. Uh, we should run to the end of the book, which tells us blessed are those who were invited to come to the wedding supper of the lamb and to eat and to drink with our Savior. He told his disciples how he would not eat or drink of the fruit of the vine and, until he drank it with them in his Father's kingdom. Uh, these are... Uh, probably without argument, the, the greatest events in the scriptures. And all of them bring us back to this very simple thing of food that bring us back to this very natural uh, instinct that we have as creatures of this world that we so often take for granted. And that is wrong. And it's this prayer request that reminds us that it's wrong to take this for granted. And it tells us why. And as we think of, of this prayer request, when we come to this particular petition, it's, it's startling that it would begin here. We would assume it would, it would begin with forgive us, something like that. We assumed it would begin in that way. We're even shocked that when it comes to the second half of this prayer, 
The very first word is give. It seems outrageous for us to say such a thing to God. Give us. But that's how it begins. But it begins, this petition begins in the context of the wider prayer. We've, we've noticed this before. The prayer does not begin with us. It begins with God. It, it begins with, with God and, and his name and his kingdom and his will, namely his glory. So as we transition to this part, I think the best way to see it is that just as God is the chief end of our life, the first three petitions, so also God is the chief source of life. That's where we turn. He's our chief end. And in the context of that, we see him as the chief source of our life. James says this, every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from above. It comes from the father of heavenly Lights, the air that you're breathing right now, it is his air. It is his earth that clothes you and sustains you. It is his food that feeds you. The rain and the sunshine, all that you possess, whether it's wisdom or it's things or it's health or it's joy, these are the things that he has grown. These are the things that he shares. These are the things that he provides. This is what he he gives. John the Baptist understood this. He said, a man can receive only what is given him from heaven. It's all that he has, what's given to him. And what's so outrageous about this is we don't deserve anything from God except for what is due us for our sin. We came to God and said, give to us what we deserve. It would be foremost, what does our sin deserve? Condemnation and death. So as sinners, we've forfeited our right to anything good from this this God. And as needy sinners, we're not in a position to presume or to demand. And yet here is this word, give, give. Well, obviously it's in in Christ that we can come and, and ask this word, but it speaks more of the God to whom we speak than it does to to us. It speaks to that this is the God who is pleased to bless. This is the God who bestows and who provides, who even pours out. It's a God who gives. And when we think of the indescribable gift of his giving his only begotten son, this is the key word. John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Romans 8.32, how do we know that God is for us, not against us? It says that he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Or Paul in Galatians 2.20, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Or as Christ says himself, the Son of Man came not to to be served, but to serve and to, to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word. It's at the very heart of the gospel that our father loves to give. And if he gave us his son, Paul says in Romans 8, how much more will he not withhold from us all things? He will give to us all things, including food. And so it's a a reminder to where we begin that we're looking to God in faith, not in fear for what he promises to provide. In Matthew 6, Our Savior says, don't worry about what you will eat or drink. And he doesn't say, because I know you need these things. No, he says, your Father knows that you need these things. 
Our Savior says, look to the birds of the air. They're not sowing. They're not reaping. They don't have huge barns in which they store their food. But your Father in heaven feeds them. And so we do the same. We seek his provision. And we seek it through prayer. Thomas Watson, the Puritan, put it this way. The tree of God's blessing drops its fruit when it is shaken by the hands of prayer. It's a beautiful quote. The tree of God's blessing drops its fruit when it is shaken by the hands of prayer. But why prayer? Why would prayer be key to this for our daily bread? Because it's faith that asks God for daily bread. It was John Calvin who said, the chief exercise of faith is prayer. Prayer is what shows that we have faith. That's why this is embedded here, so that when we come to God looking for a daily bread, it's like we're asking something like this. God, I'm asking you for the needs of today, but I am trusting you for the needs of tomorrow. I'm looking to you. I'm asking that you would provide for my needs today. But I'm trusting you about tomorrow. That's what our Lord says in Matthew 6. Don't worry about tomorrow. The troubles of today, that's enough. Your plate is full. Don't worry about tomorrow. That we're looking to him, trusting in him. And that is exactly what God was trying to teach Israel in the wilderness in Exodus 16. And God says to Moses, I'm going to do something nobody's ever seen before. This has never, ever happened before. I'm going to give you this thing. It's called manna. When I give this, this manna to Israel, this is what you need to tell your fellow Israelites. Tell them to gather a day's portion every day. And that's it. I'm doing this to test them, to see whether they will walk in my ways and my commandments or not. Will they trust me? And what would happen if they did not? What if they went out and tried to hoard too much and kept over for the next day? You know what happens. It would rot. At the end of the day, the children could say to their parents, where is our food for tomorrow? We're trusting God for that. He said he'll provide it tomorrow. We're just looking to him today. And what this was meant to do was to teach Israel, to train Israel for 40 years to renounce all of their self-reliance or to think that they could feed themselves, to think they could protect themselves from these nations in their own strength, to think they could find a way in their own wisdom. It's, it was meant to cause them to uh, fully renounce all self-reliance and to place all their confidence in him. That's what faith is. It means to put all your confidence in Christ and to abandon that self-reliance. It's exactly opposite what we see in the play Shenandoah. In that play, it's about this family, and the father is Charlie Anderson, and he's, he's lost his, his wife Martha, and he's bitter about it, and he's bitter against God. And it comes out in one of his prayers, right before a meal, where this is what he prays, Lord, we cleared this land. We plowed it, sowed it, and harvested it. We cooked the harvest. It wouldn't be here, and we wouldn't be eating if we hadn't done it all ourselves. We work dog bone hard for every crumb and morsel, but we thank you, Lord, just the same for the food we're about to eat. Amen. (laughs) Exactly opposite what God was trying to teach his people. And there's one thing that the Lord said he feared, that when Israel finally came into Canaan and left behind the manna and the quail, that they would become self-satisfied, and they would forget him. 
He says this in Deuteronomy 6.10, when the Lord brings you into the land that he promised your fathers and gives you good cities that you did not build, houses full of good things that you did not fill, cisterns that you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. When we're praying this prayer, what we're saying is, I've not forgotten you, Lord. I've not forgotten who gives to me these good gifts. I've not forgotten that all that I am, all that I have, comes freely from you. But we're also asking, all, this is all that I need. I just need enough for today. Just enough. Not too much. Not too little. Proverbs 30, verse 8 puts it this way. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. We're called to be content in all circumstances. Sometimes there's seasons when there's little, sometimes there's seasons when there are much, but we're praying to God, just give me enough. That's all I'm asking. I'll be content with that. Just enough. And that's what the shorter catechism means when you see that phrase, a competent portion. That's an antiquated way of simply saying enough. It's sufficient for the day. I don't need to hoard like those Israelites that hoarded too much manna and it rotted. We're seeking only as much as we need, but it's more than that. You see, we're trusting him. We're saying we're trusting God to give us as much as he thinks is wise for us. We don't always know what is best for us. We're We're trusting him that the amount he gives to us, the kind of things he gives to us, the timing in which he gives it to us, what seems good to him. We're trusting him for that. We're trusting God for the welfare of our brothers and sisters in this. We're not just praying for ourselves. Again, remember what we said about this prayer. It's it's in plural. Give us. Give us this day our daily bread. Care for our brothers and sisters in this place or that place or this family in our church that we know is needy. And of course, we're called to do something about that, but we're trusting God for those things. And we're trusting God to to bless these things, not just to give them, but as the catechism says, the blessing that needs to accompany them. That these gifts will give us the health that we need and the strength and the life that we need. Somebody has put it this way, the bread is in your hands, but the blessing is in God's hands. And it is retrieved from God's hand through prayer. This is the chief exercise of faith. It's prayer. Coming to him, acknowledging that we are completely dependent upon him and seeking his goodness and the blessing that comes with him. We are trusting him, but we're always thanking him. If he gives us our daily bread, brothers and sisters, let us give him our daily thanks. That's not asking too much. Why, it's a blessing to see Christians, even sometimes in public places before the meal is, is, is eaten, to stop and to pray. A simple prayer. But it's an acknowledgement. This is a gift they're about to enjoy. And we've not forgotten. Well, we do not live by bread alone. And God gave Israel this man in the wilderness, and this was a magnificent thing. And, and as we read earlier, 
This was an extraordinary thing. This had never been seen. He said, your fathers, they never saw anything like this. And even Christ acknowledges that this is the bread of heaven. Psalm 78 said that God fed his people with the food of angels. It's a remarkable, remarkable thing that he gave to Israel in this way. What was he teaching them? He's saying, I can provide for all of your needs. Deuteronomy 8.3, we read earlier, God humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. God chose them. God delivered them. God loved Israel. And he would feed them and protect them and sustain them. That was his commitment. That was his, his promise, that God is the source of their life. He's the source of our life. It doesn't matter whether those needs are of the body or of the soul, that he is that source of life. And you see this demonstrating the life of Jesus when he was in the wilderness. How many days was he in the wilderness? 40 days, you know that. It's not by accident that Israel's in the wilderness for 40 years. There's a relationship there. That's another sermon for another day. But he was fasting and he was hungry. 40 days without food, you're hungry. And Satan comes in that timely way to tempt him. And you know what he says, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And somebody has said, very clever, Satan, so close and yet so far. What does Jesus do? He quotes the very passage we just read. He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus quotes exclusively from Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 8 for all three forms of temptation that come to him from Satan. He goes to this point of Israel's wilderness experience for this very lesson that God was trying to teach Israel. Jesus shows us what Israel should have learned in the wilderness. You need to trust God to sustain you. Even when it looks like he's abandoned you. The trust of the Lord for all things. And if we think of the, if these first three petitions are teaching us about God, then it's telling us that he is our life. And it's right to see him as the source of our life, but life is more than food. This life, there is, there's so much more than that. And sometimes that happens to us even in the most innocent ways. I've, I've shared this experience with, with many couples uh, reflecting upon their, their wedding day. And like some of, of you, there's a lot of fuss made over the menu. I was only concerned about one item. That was the meat, obviously. But in reflecting upon the day, I had a reflection that so many other couples have had. I didn't eat any of the food. Why not? Because I wasn't hungry. I wasn't thinking about that. It seemed about something greater as so many couples are. That happens to us so many times. We get lost into something we forget to eat. We throw ourselves into something we forget to eat. But Jesus taught this quite explicitly. When he fed the 5,000 in John 6, and they keep following him, he says, you're not following me in the right way. You're looking to me for the wrong things and for all the wrong reasons. They were looking to Jesus for something that was earthly, and he said, you should be looking to me for something that is heavenly. He says, if you would eat the food that I offer, you would never go hungry again. The, the food that would endure to eternal life. Because I am the bread of life. That's what I have to offer. That's what that miracle is meant to 
to point to. The same thing happened to Jesus when he's talking to the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. He said, if you only knew who you were talking to, you would ask from me living water, and you would never go thirsty again. It would become a spring that wells up to eternal life in you. But Jesus is saying to the Samaritan woman what he's saying to this crowd of 5,000 people, you are aiming too low. I can feed you. I could fill you with so much more. To the woman, what five relationships could not satisfy. To this crowd, he could fill them with the bread of life. When we are praying for the things of the earth, you and me as believers, we are aiming for the things of heaven. Our life is hidden in Christ, in heaven. That's where our life is. And everything that gives us life comes down from heaven. That's what John the Baptist understood. A man can receive only what's given to him from heaven. It's no accident that in the very same miracle we're talking about in John 6, where Christ fed the 5,000, that's recorded in Matthew 14. Do you know what it tells us? He gets this fish and this bread in his hands. Do you know what it does? What he does? It says he looks to heaven. That's not incidental. He's embodying the very thing God was trying to teach Israel in the wilderness, to look to heaven. That's where these blessings come. He looks up to heaven. He says the blessing. He breaks and he multiplies. This is God's provision. And he recognizes that. There's so much more. There's so much more depth here. And there is a longing and a craving and a hunger and thirst in you and me that goes deeper and deeper and deeper. And it's a desire that this world can't satisfy. Only God can satisfy it. That was the call of Isaiah 55. Why spend money on what is not bread? And your labor on what will not satisfy? Eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the best of the best. Oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water, the psalmist says. To come to Christ. And if you come to Christ, what do you find? All that you need. Here is life. No, it's more than that, it's new life. It's more than that, it's abundant life. It's more than that, it's eternal life. That's what's found in Christ. Here is forgiveness and acceptance and adoption and peace and joy and purpose. And then there's love. A love that this world does not know, that this world cannot give. Oh, it promises this love, but it can never deliver. This is love, and there is no other. Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you that this is him. And this is why we must not stop believing, why we must not stop being grateful and not stop feeling our need and not stop praying. Christ is all that we need for this life and for the next. And so that's why we go to him and we open our hearts to him with all of our needs. It doesn't matter what they are. It doesn't matter how wicked they are. You confess those for what they are. You go to him in your desperation and you open your heart and pour it out like water. Because he is what you need. And that's why we are never ultimately content until we are with him in heaven. 
We taste the good things of God in this life. But scripture tells us those are just a foretaste of the more beautiful things, the things that endure in heaven. And you and I, we desire living water, but we want to drink that water from the river of life that flows from the throne of God. We long to sit at the table of Christ in his kingdom, in his presence, and in his glory in heaven. And we will. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. That you and I, we will eat and drink and we will worship and we will be satisfied. Never again will we hunger. Never again will we thirst. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you for the blessing that it is to be in the family of God and to receive those good gifts that you pour out upon your children. And even this morning, we're reminded of things that we have known for many years. But it's good to be reminded of how true they are, how good they are. And what a gracious and generous God we have in heaven. Father, help us not to take anything for granted that we enjoy in this life. Even if it's just for a moment, to give you praise and glory and thanks for your kindness to us. Most especially those good gifts that we have from Christ, all the benefits that are ours in him. We thank you that we have all that we need in him, that truly he is our all in all. And so yet again this morning, we say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.